Hey, Keith, who's the first player to bust your ass? <laughs> Uh, you know, I honestly could have, I was very close to saying Shane Battier, but we never actually shared the floor. So, um, God, I, any other name I I would actually give you would matter to nobody except me because I never played against anybody that played professionally. Uh, I, Travis Goots, Travis Goots was mine. Sixth grade. Uh, I was kind of known as the, the basketball guy in elementary school i was like better than everybody um and and i was so confident and this kid came around and he just figured out what apparently no one else could figure out is that i have i could not go left i could only go right and he just found a way to defend that and i just could not get anything to go in and he was just hot that day and uh and he is the first guy to bust my ass and he changed my entire basketball career uh, it, it was very short lived after that. I lost my confidence. I'm not sure I really ever get, got it back. But Travis Goose, first player to bust my ass. This is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. All right, like the knuckleheads, we are live and on location, and uh, we are covering the 2000 NBA draft, which features the knuckleheads, which is why we had this nice knucklehead intro today. Uh, I am Mike Payton. Keith Black Trudeau is our other host. This is Bad Boys and Beyond, but you already knew that because that's why you tuned in. So uh, we've got a probably the hardest draft that we'll ever have to cover today because this one oh boy well 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 it's a very low stakes draft because i don't think either of us could could make a wrong selection here uh yeah the the, the 2000 draft uh, which we'll get into in a little bit uh widely regarded as the worst draft in modern nba history and it certainly earns that title uh only three players out of this draft class uh, made an all-star team, and it wasn't even the player that won Rookie of the Year out of this class. Uh, it, this uh, draft was in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, and like everything else that's in Minnesota, uh, we never see, we never saw or heard from the NBA on uh, draft on tour ever again. Uh, it has been held in the New York metropolitan area every year since two, the year 2000. Uh, and there's really nothing else for me to add uh, other than that th- this is a very, very, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, though, almost, I think almost 50 players from this draft actually played at least one NBA game, uh, which is significantly more than, than several very good drafts that we've done. Uh, so what this draft makes up for in, in lack of star power, uh, it, it makes up for in, um, the amount of 11th and 12th men uh, it's sent to the NBA over the next decade. Well, hey, there you go. I, I I was just surprised to 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 read some of the like you know we've we've just done some of the greatest drafts ever. Yeah. You know, we had the 1996 draft not long ago. The 1999 draft was actually pretty decent too. We were talking about how yeah, how deep draft. yeah how deep it was. 
And then you get to this one where there's only one all NBA player in the entire draft. It's Michael Red. And he was 13. Like it's 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 insane. Um, but but yeah. Uh, so before we get into that draft, we got a few things we want to talk about today. Uh, uh, just just to start us off, um, I just want to offer my condolences to you know everybody at Michigan State, families that are grieving today, uh, senseless. You know, it's absolutely just ridiculous that we live in a country that this keeps happening in. And, uh, you know, that's why we didn't do a show uh, earlier in the week, because yesterday, which was Tuesday, the day after it happened, it just... It just didn't feel important to talk about the 2000 NBA draft when, you know, so many people were hurting. Uh, So, yeah, it's hard to work up enthusiasm. Yeah. And I, yeah, I know I didn't have it and I don't think Keith did either. And yeah, it was just, yeah. So that's, that's why we, we uh, postponed the show. And again, I just, you know, offer my condolence. I'm, I'm not a religious guy, but if you pray, then, you know, send your prayers that way and send your thoughts that way. And, and, you know, just, whatever, whatever, you know, if you need to talk to somebody, I highly recommend you go talk to somebody uh, about it, you know, just because you weren't there doesn't mean it can't affect you. Um, Just, yeah, it's, uh, it's absolutely just incredibly sad. And um, yeah, if you guys want to uh, do any donating, if you go to my Twitter page uh, at POD underscore Peyton, I've got all of the GoFundMe's for the uh for the people who were um who were killed uh i've got all their gofundmes on there and uh, if they open up any scholarships in the uh these people's names or anything i'll i'll be sure to retweet that as well so yeah if you feel like you want to donate go ahead and do that um but we're going to go ahead and, and get into our show today uh let's talk about the uh, NBA trade deadline. And first and foremost, we got to talk about the Pistons because we're predominantly Pistons podcast. The Pistons traded away Sadiq Bay for James Wiseman. And, and Kevin uh, Knox. And, and Kevin Knox. Let's let's oh, pull yeah, it up. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Kevin, uh, Kevin Kevin Knox also got traded in this trade. And um about 115 second rounders were also uh, thrown around in different ways uh, by the, <laughs> in this four team trade, as well as a, a million other trades. But James is, uh, is, I guess, supposed to play tonight. We're recording on Wednesday. He's supposed to play uh, his first Pistons game tonight. I don't know what to expect or how many minutes he's actually going to get on the court, but uh, Keith, what, what are, what are your thoughts now that we're about a week away from this trade? What are you, what are, what's going through your mind? I think the weirdest thing is we're, we're a week away. We're about a week away from this trade, but we're only a couple of days away from it being official. Uh, This was very nearly voided because um, Gary Payton, uh, the second failed his physical. Uh, He was sent from Portland to Golden State uh, as their end of uh, this deal. And it, it sat on there. It's it just sat in limbo for three days. Uh, the Warriors waited almost until the very last second. They had 72 hours uh, to accept or deny it. And it looks like there's going to be some repercussions uh, from the league on behalf of the Warriors. So for, for the Pistons, and this is almost deja vu because a year ago, uh, the Pistons got Bo Bol from Denver for Rodney McGruder, and then Bo Bol failed his physical. They determined yeah. he couldn't. 
he wasn't healthy enough to play for them for the rest of the season and he was going to be a free agent. So they, they avoided the trade because there was no benefit in for the Pistons. The the failed um, physical thing, uh, sorry to interrupt the failed physical thing. I really don't understand. Aren't, I mean, aren't these players being checked regularly? <laughs> I, I don't, how, how are the trainers not up on, um, on any of the stuff before a trade is negotiated? Yeah, I hear that all the time. That's a common question uh, because injured players get traded all the time and teams know that they're injured. But here's the difference. Uh, when and This is a league rule. Uh, this isn't a suggestion. This is something you have to do if you're conducting a trade in the NBA. You need to inform the other team of any uh, ongoing health issues or any medical re- relevant medical uh, information pertaining to that player that you're about to trade them. So it needs to be out in the open that, hey, you want this guy, uh, we're offering him to you, but, you know, he has this, this, and this, you know, going on. And apparently the Blazers did not do that uh, with the Warriors. They did not inform them that Kerry Payton uh, II was injured or at least not significantly injured. And that's what creates the problem. Uh, if you recall, uh 20, I want to say 1994, so 29 years ago at, at the trade deadline, the Pistons traded Sean Elliott for Robert Ory, uh, and that trade was voided because the Rockets gave Sean Elliott a physical, and they found a kidney, dis- a serious kidney disorder, and it didn't, while that didn't prevent Elliott from playing, it, it was something that could potentially uh, end his career at any point, so they voided the trade. And that's kind of why these trades get voided. It's not necessarily because uh, they were, uh, in, a player shows up and he's not 100% healthy. Nobody is at this point in the year. It's because teams are, are – it's because a player is more injured than a team believed he was supposed to be based on those conversations. Well, uh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So either the Blazers – or it sounds like the Blazers knew and they just didn't yeah. want to say anything. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's, which, yeah, that's pretty Which if true, that could cost them draft capital. And it could also entitle the Warriors to draft compensation, uh, which is probably why this got drawn out so long, uh, because then the Warriors wanted to accept the trade while still preserving their right to pursue act, pursue um, some kind of action against the, the Blazers. I Right now it's, he said, uh, he said, because the Blazers are saying we didn't do anything wrong and the Warriors are saying they didn't inform us. So somebody's one way or the other, somebody's lying here. Uh, we'll, we'll, the, the NBA, of course, will do an investigation. All these uh, conversations are pretty much recorded or logged at least. So it shouldn't take long to figure out who was saying what. So what are your, now that the trade has gone through, what, what are your thoughts on James Wiseman being a a piston in the uh, piston setting bay away. Uh, he's, he, look, he's very much a mystery box. Uh, I, I am not the first person to say this. Uh, many people have said this before, but he's logged fewer career minutes and he's in his third season uh, than Jalen Duran, who is the NBA's youngest player uh, and also a rookie. You can look at the metrics and he was, you know, the, the minutes that he got in Golden State, uh, he was okay offensively terrible defensively the Warriors were bad with him on the court but uh he was also not on the court, allowed to be on the court very long um he logged fewer than 1100 career minutes in over a three-year time span that's nothing it's le- it's less than nothing uh from a minutes perspective for a lottery pick he's basically halfway through his rookie season that, that that's just the facts 
uh, do I think he's going to fit in in Detroit? I don't know. Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, look, the athletic look, he's huge, uh, gigantic human being, uh, mobile, athletic. Uh, from a measurable standpoint, he looks like everything you would expect a top five pick big man to be. Uh, but look, he, he didn't fit right away in Golden State. He needed to be developed, and Golden State had no patience for developing him. They're trying to win a championship now. Uh, so right now with the Pistons is kind of his very first chance to be treated like, you know, in an actual top five pick would normally be treated. Uh, you, you give him minutes, you give him some runway, you allow him to make mistakes and you see what you have. Now, uh, one, one last thing, there's only 24 games left in the season, including tonight. And that's just simply not enough uh, time to figure out what you have uh, and what a player is capable of and what he isn't which I think is great for the Pistons because they have a year, the rest of this season and all of next season uh, to make a determination and to figure out is James Wiseman, you know, someone that could be a part of our, our team when they're a finished product. Uh, I I don't know that he is, but I don't know that he is. I like, I, I really hate saying, I don't know, but it's just the honest answer because I don't think anyone can really know with the very, very limited amount of playing time he's gotten in the NBA. I, I hope for the best, but I also understand that there's a possibility that maybe he is just as bad. Uh, th- this is very much to me uh, the inverse of the Darko Milicic uh, situation, where Darko never got a chance to play in Detroit ever. They were a championship team, and their players always stayed healthy. He never had an opportunity uh, to get minutes. Uh, but at the same time, once they traded him to Orlando – and he found his way to Minnesota. Those were two mediocre to bad teams that he had plenty of opportunity on. And he, it wasn't that he couldn't play. He just didn't want to work at being a better NBA player than he was. And that he showed himself in, in those situations. The Pistons didn't ruin him, uh, but he he had his opportunities. Now, this is James Wiseman's opportunity. This is his chance to show that he's not the player that everyone thought he was in Golden State. Uh, but we'll we'll have to see. Uh, I, I I really look forward to commenting on his development. You know, a month from now, two months from now. Shoot, I hope he plays summer league. Give him all the minutes. I want to see him play all the minutes. Yeah, um, that's uh, interesting that you bring up uh, Darko because I was going to say the same thing. It feels there's some Darko uh, feelings to this, and and I I got I will sort of fight back on the and on on the Darko thing. Because uh, I do think the Pistons ruined him, and I think that he was he got ruined in Detroit because there's there's one thing that that can be destroyed and has nothing to do with your uh, your court uh, your or, or it's your confidence is what I'm trying to say. I think that Detroit destroyed that kid's confidence, and they never you know like there after a year he was being called the human victory cigar and like everybody, we were making fun of him, And like, I just think that he never got over that. And I think if he would have got drafted anywhere else, maybe, maybe he would have been a, a, had a better shot. And I, I think obviously this is a much different situation for, for uh, James Wiseman, but somewhat similar because he does get drafted to a championship level team that just didn't need him. Like, the the Warriors were only in that second spot because they just dealt with a whole bunch of injuries that year, and uh, obviously, you know, they just they they should have took someone else, uh, Lamelo Ball or or 
or, you know, whatever, but it, it, it just, uh, you know, I, there's something about James Wiseman that Troy Weaver loves. He wanted this guy. He was at the top of his board and here we are a year later, two years later, rather, and he's trying to get him again. So I, I wonder what that is. And if maybe this is Weaver being that true scout who can see something that no one else can. And, uh, we'll, we'll see if Dwayne Casey and, um, is going to be able to, to, you know, help mine the diamond out of the, the coal here. We'll, we'll, we'll see here. I, I just, I just don't know. Um, I am interested in seeing him play. I do plan to watch tonight's game and, uh, see if he, you know, w- when he gets on the floor, how much time he gets on the floor and, and, and see what he can do. But I, I, I don't know. I was, uh, I know I feel differently than I did last week when I was super upset that they had traded Sadiq Bay away because um, it just felt like throwing in the towel a little bit, but you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm not, it, it absolutely was. I think they determined yeah. that he wasn't, they, he wasn't worth the contract that he was going to well, command the year and a half from now. And right. Right. Maybe Wiseman's not either, but I, I think they, they have, they had hope, more hope for Wiseman weirdly enough than they had for Sadiq Bay. I guess uh, what I more so meant there was like, it just felt like we were kind of throwing in the towel on this part of the rebuild. And we were going to, we were just, we were just like, Oh, this isn't working. Let's uh, you know, we're, we're, we're way farther back than we thought we were. So let's, let's dish out of here. But, but no, I mean that I, I, I had sort of went back and, you know, I read James Edwards article uh, about how, you know, the Pistons were like basically what you're saying there, they were not, they did not like Sadiq's play. Uh, they didn't like what Sadiq was becoming. Um, and, and, you know, and that, and that's the problem. And, and I had had that problem myself, you know, I, I, it was just like, there were so many games where you would see Sadiq trying to drive to the basket when it was, you'd see wide open player just sitting there going, you know, Hey, can I get the ball? And he's, you know, he's, he, I, I just feel like Sadiq, Got felt like he got put into a box as a three and D player, and he just did not want to be in that box, and he was going to try to do everything that he could to get out of it, and I maybe and, and maybe to his detriment. Uh, yeah. I, I think I think in Atlanta, you know, playing with Trey Young, John Collins, um, and everybody over there, I think that he if he settles into a three and D role, it's going to feel uh, pretty pretty immediately that the Pistons. Uh, made it the wrong deal, but I, I I think in the long run it's probably for the best that Sadiq Bay is uh, is not going to be a piston. Yeah, I it's nothing personally against Sadiq Bay. I, I certainly see why he get why he got picked. Uh, you you love the attitude, you love the work ethic, you, you personality wise, you love everything about the guy. He just seemed like a guy that was you know a, a traditional Detroit piston. In, in terms of persona, it just on the basketball court, um, struggled on defense, never got better at that. Uh, his his three point shooting fell off. The more he tried to create for himself, uh, was never a good He's probably never going to be a good passer. It's just not a tool. That's that's, it's not a club that's in his bag. Uh, but look, I, I wish him all the best in Atlanta. Uh, I, I just don't like the fit for him there either. To be quite honest, they have too many, they have, more guys uh i think than any team in the league that want to shoot the ball 20 times a game and it's really going to relegate him to just being a catch and shoot guy and that's and they have no guys that want to play defense either so 
I, I don't know. I, I, I think Sadiq would be best off on a team like Memphis that's very, very good defensively and that maybe could use an extra guy that likes to create for himself. Uh, but that's, you know, me selfishly, you know, wanting the best for his career. I don't think it was going to be here. Uh, I, I don't. One last thing with Wiseman. Uh, you, you mentioned what Troy Weaver sees in him. I, I think, at least to me, is th- the thing that pops with Wiseman is the, his ability to score and score efficiently. Uh, on that end, it, it looks like he has everything that you'd want from he can dunk on you in the paint. He, he has a good elbow jumper. It looks like he could extend out to three-point range. Not that the Warriors ever let him shoot. Uh, it looks like he could be a guy that could be a, a, a primary scorer uh, in the red, but that's an absolute ceiling type. Uh, no one should expect that right away. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure what to, but no one, I don't want to get everybody's hopes up because he might never be that guy. I'm just saying the tools are there. And from, from Weaver's perspective as, as a career scout, uh, I, I think that that's probably what he's looking at is, is the, the, the tools that I have to work with to mold this guy into something special okay um and then you know i do want to touch on we got it we got to we got to bring it back because we talked about it last week kevin durant did wind up getting traded uh we you and i had a little bit of a thing in the dms about who was right and who was wrong and i think we just we we deemed that we were both right but i was two percent writer you were (laughs) it actually happened yeah. I, I didn't. I said it wouldn't happen, but I also added the caveat that they the team would have to send Brooklyn a whole bunch of their draft picks, and I I think the Suns actually gave Brooklyn a pretty good deal. Yeah, uh, I, I I really hate that. Like, oh, all right. Uh, let me break it down quickly. Uh, look, the Nets still owe a large portion of their draft stock to. Uh, the Houston Rockets for the James Harden deal. So tanking is kind of out of the question for them. Uh, but the pieces they got back for both Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, they they don't have a great team right now, but they have a pretty good young team right now with a lot of length and a lot of trade pieces that other teams, frankly, would uh, pay handsomely for. And on top of that, getting Mikel Bridges, that could be a sneaky great deal for them. So I, I, I did add in the caveat last week that a team would have to give them a whole bunch of draft picks, and, and Phoenix did that. And Phoenix also threw in Mikel Bridges and, and Cam Johnson, which is, I don't want to say fantastic, because any team would make that deal for Kevin Durant. But, you know, if, if a guy is basically forcing you to trade him and he's a top Hall of Fame superstar, you, I thought they that the Nets got the best deal they, they could have asked for. Yeah, I mean, it's I think the Nets – the Nets did this as about as well as you could possibly do it. Way more well, weller, better. <laughs> they yeah. way more better than I thought that they were going to be able to do it. They got rid of Kyrie and Kevin Durant, and as you mentioned, came back with Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Spencer Didwitty, uh, Finney Smith. Yeah, Joy, uh, yeah, Dorian Finney Smith. Um, yeah, I mean Claxton. Uh, this is this is a nice. This is a nice haul, man. Plus a bunch of first round draft picks that are, uh, I mean, I don't know if they're unprotected. I think they are. They should be. Uh, well, and from Phoenix, I'm pretty sure they are. Yeah, they should be from from Phoenix. Yeah, so I they did it just about as well as you could do it. I actually, I actually look at this Nets team as they could be like a a, a sneaky good like scrappy team that I yeah. don't know, man. They're gonna knock some some play some teams off. You know, I, it's it's really interesting. Uh, 
but yeah, that's, that's, there's that. Uh, do you think the Phoenix Suns are the favorites to win it all this year? They gotta be. I think if they, I think if they don't win it all, it's a major disappointment. Yeah. I, it's even more so than last year. And they were the best team in the league last year. Yeah. But this year, now they have Kevin Durant added to that mix, which was kind of starting to erode this year. But you add Durant to that, they they just have clearly the most talent of any team in the league. Yeah, the only thing that could derail them, maybe Chris Paul gets hurt for an extended period of time, and that that but Chris Paul is like the fifth guy in that team now. So like I remember last uh, two years ago, they were kind of crippled when he got hurt on their finals run. This year, if he gets hurt, it, it hurts them, but it doesn't like they're still going to be the best team on the floor, no matter who they play against. I have a hard time seeing Phoenix not win the title. And that kind of sucks because this league seems so wide open a week ago and Phoenix just capitalized on that. Uh, but who knows? I, they still have some, some chemistry issues. I don't know if Durant is going to help that or hurt that, but if any reason that they don't win the championship will be internal, I don't think it'll be because anyone just out talents them. Uh, another trade. Uh, we won't get into every single one of them, uh, and and we and we'll talk briefly on this one. Uh, I thought Luke Kennard to the Grizzlies was a was a really good gift for the Grizzlies. I I I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I know he's not the crazy scorer that uh, that everybody would hope that he would be. But man, when you get a guy who's a 44 percent three point shooter on a team that needs needs more help, I I don't know. It just felt right to me. I I just feel I feel good about it for the Grizzlies. Yeah, I. I... Luke Kennard in general to me is just, he's a lights out shooter. He's one of the best pure shooters in the entire league. It's just tough to keep him on the floor because he's, he's so slow defensively. Uh, he his physically, he doesn't hold up to playing a lot of minutes. He has to miss games. It, it just seems there's a whole lot of more maintenance on him than your standard you know shooting specialist, even though I think he's way better than your standard shooting specialist. His career is just weird to me. I, I agree. He should be a great fit on Memphis. I just have to see it work. Um, and then the last thing, uh, where do you think Westbrook winds up? I think Westbrook has to wind up with the Clippers, but the Clippers just traded for Bones Highland, so I'm not 100% sure on that. I think he should just stay in Utah. No, you. I agree with you, actually. I, I think it would be great if he stuck with Utah and they had a little playoff run because I think he would – I think he, he kind of fits in Utah. I think he fits great in, in, in the Clippers. I don't think he's a fit at all on the other 28 teams in the NBA. He's just such a specialized player that you need you would you would need to have a need on your team for a high usage, um, high turnover, uh, crash the basket, non-shooting point guard that has a high usage rate and doesn't pass in, in crunch time. There's just <laughs> He's such a weirdly specific skill set that belongs only to him, and, and you need a team that uh, can allow him to be who he is without getting in anyone else's way. I think the Clippers certainly uh, fit that. I don't know about – yeah, I think the Jazz might too. I don't know about anyone else. Like, There's rumors that the Bulls really want him simply because that they didn't – they were the only team in the league, I think, that didn't make a, a trade to get anyone at the deadline, and they, ba they badly needed to. So I think – I don't know. I, I think Westbrook might actually wind up in Chicago just because they might offer him, you know, all the minutes in the world. Yeah, it's too bad we don't have Ricky O'Donnell on this on this oh, episode. God. I, yeah, I, I felt so 
He was irate. I really wish, I, oh God, I wish we could have had him for this. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think that uh, Westbrook has some reputation to rebuild. And I think Utah is a quiet enough place to do it where he could get some real minutes in for 24 games or 20, whatever they got left, put up some good tape and try to get a better contract next year with, with somebody else. I just, I just going to the Clippers just feels like you're putting a, I don't know. It feels like you're putting a bandaid on it. Like it just, it does, it's not going to fix anything, but, um, but yeah, that's the, uh, that's the deadline. Uh, one more thing I want to talk about before we get into this draft, we're obviously uh, <laughs> taking longer on our news and notes before, because this draft is just so bad. We'll probably yeah, this run draft right is not going to go. Yeah. This draft is not going to be very long. Yeah. Uh, I just want, I, to, uh, <laughs> earlier this week, some, uh, some news came out that we might get to hear this sound again. Yes! Uh, Or we might get to hear this sound. Three, four. Basketball, gimme, gimme, gimme the ball because I'm gonna dunk it! Basketball. Uh, that is the, uh, uh, yeah, I love that good, good stuff on SNL there. Um, so yeah, uh, the NBA might be returning to NBC or the NBC, NBC, uh, for, basically with the reports is that NBC might be gearing up to make a very big, uh, uh, proposal to the NBA to try to bring them back. I, I am psyched, psyched and really hope this happens at the same time. I don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> I actually think it will uh, for the for this reason. I, I think with the report, I think people kind of got confused that it, it was a case of NBC bidding against uh, ABC and ESPN and TNT. I, I don't think that's the case. I think the NBA is going to try to include um, NBC as a third broadcast partner, uh, the way that the NFL includes basically everybody in their in their football coverage. So I. I I, hopefully, and and I, this would be great because I see what NBC's done with the Sunday Night Football and their Football Night in America show. They take it very seriously. They turn it into an event. Uh, they, they hype the hell out of every game. I want that back because that's what NBC was back in the day. NBC yeah. was your, yep, it, you wouldn't even see a broadcast until after until Christmas Day and then the games after Christmas. And then even then, they'd only be on the weekends, Saturdays, maybe Sundays. Towards the end of the season, you get like a Sunday uh, double, even triple header uh, on occasion. But those were that was appointment TV. Those were the games that if you if whenever the Pistons were on NBC, it, it felt like uh, I I don't know. It felt like a reward almost, like it yeah. was an important thing. Uh, and, and that's kind of how I felt like when the Lions got on NBC uh, against the Packers this season. Yeah. Like that was a reward. That 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 was an acknowledgement uh, that you've had success, and and this is your reward. Now, look, I, I see what they've done, and I'm glad because there's their football coverage is very much in the same tone as their basketball coverage was 30 years ago. So I, I'm not really worried about if they get this uh, coming back differently and, and having a different type. No, I think they'll do the – I think they're, they're not dumb, all right? They're not paying idiots. They know why uh, you and I and so many people our age uh, romanticize the, the, the television, co- television coverage in the 1990s of the NBA 
and what they 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 understand what made that special. And I hopefully they'll bring it back. Uh, Ground Ball Rock, unfortunately, it actually is played constantly on Fox for their college basketball coverage and the Big Ten Network. It doesn't hit as hard as all. It it just doesn't. Uh, I think what made what made it special on NBC wasn't just the song. I think it was the intros. I, I think it was the the care and attention, the the production quality, the sheer production quality. I, I think it was the best production quality the league has ever had for their broadcast. So if NBC uh, struck a deal uh, with the NBA and it was only for one game a week, I would totally be in favor of that. And maybe for you know two two or three like a playoff triple header. Like if it was that if it was that small of a deal, I mean, how great would that be to, you know, one NBC game a week? I would love to go back to that. Cause you know, if you want to watch the other games, you're going to be able to on ESPN or TNT or league pass or whatever. It's not like we can't see the games anymore. Right. So just, right. yeah, just it, bring NBC back into the fold, do it one game a week. Uh, and maybe Saturdays and Sundays towards the end of the season. I think everyone would love that. I, I absolutely would. And I, I, and I want that care brought back, you know, those, those intros were like, they were like watching professional wrestling. It intro, was like, there were, it was like storylines. There were storylines and uh, last time exactly. these two teams played and like NBC just did all that stuff that ESPN and, and all these other places, they just don't do, they don't give it to you like that. And uh, no, yeah, man, I, I, I really, let's, yeah, let's get, it comes let's off so get, cheap. Let's get Marv Albert back. Let's uh, let's get it going. Well, man. <laughs> yes. I, I don't know about that. Maybe, maybe we can get Bob Costas to do a spectacular moves. Uh, but yeah, I, I think some of the, some of the old voices we remember are probably a little bit too old to come back. Okay, that's fair. Well, George Blaha's pretty old. He's still going. Uh, yeah, voice George Blaha's of my childhood. Well, <laughs> yeah. He's a um, unicorn. Yeah, he definitely is. Uh, yeah, so I really, I really hope that they do bring that back, and um, and you know, yeah, once a week, every Saturday, big game, I'm there. I, it doesn't yeah. have to be the Pistons, whoever. I, I just want to watch some basketball and feel like it super means something. I, I would love yeah, it if, they, if they got the Christmas games too. <laughs> like, um, oh, I, I think it would go without saying they would have yeah. at least one or two of those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ABC, of course, would still keep one ESPN, but I TNT, like, have one on every network. Yeah, why not? If you're going to do four or five in a row. You got four or five networks. Just have one on every network. That one, no one can uh, can complain about it. Right. All right. Well, Keith, we've pushed it off long enough. What do you think about this NBA dunk competition? Who the hell are these four guys? What are we doing, man? Uh, Mac McClung. Uh, yeah. What Kenyon Martin Jr. What, what are we doing? If the NBA just does not seem to get it, like, but why no, do you? I don't, know. I don't know if it's the NBA. You just can't get. Look, everybody knows who they want to see uh, in this contest. It's just that yeah. they don't want to do it. Now, look at Shane Sharp, who's who's a rookie playing fifteen to uh, eight, sixteen minutes a game off the bench for Portland, was supposed to be in it, and he dropped down not because he was hurt, just because. I mean, I forget the quote. I, I want to focus on the, you know, the second half of the season. Bottom line is he saw the other no names that were in it with him and he decided I can't win this. I can only lose it. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and he was the biggest name by far that was going to be included. So the, here, here's the thing. If, if you get guys that other guys want to compete against, you're going to have a good contest, but if you, you're never ever going to have three, 
uh, undrafted free agent rookies and then one one star that people want to see because that guy will never want to be in it because there's no there's no benefit in it. So it, as long as you have guys that keep skipping out on this contest, you're, you, this is the way it's going to be forever. So it, it's honestly up to the players uh, to make that determination. The NBA can't force them to participate. Yeah, I, it's it's I, I don't know. I know they can't force them to participate, but maybe how about some enticement? Like, the, let's bring the pageantry back to the dunk contest. You know, how about some extra money? Here's some like let's get. I mean, it, this used to be <laughs> the thing that stuff. everyone wanted to see. And, it wasn't because of money, though. It, well, I know it was because it, it it was cool, and now it's not cool anymore. And right. I think I think also. You know, I think maybe there nobody wants to say it, but maybe there's some pressure on there that's like, how what can I do that hasn't been done already? And oh, you're right, yeah. You know, and I still am waiting for somebody to do a backflip off the rim. One of these days, somebody's going to climb up there and do it. Uh, they might die in the process, but they they they, they nail it. They're going to win it. They're going to win it all. Uh, but yeah, I I I don't know. Um, all right, I guess I guess we better get into. The thing we came here to talk about. Um, you watch any good TV shows lately? <laughs> oh, okay, fine, fine, fine. All right. The, the, the Last of Us is fantastic. I uh, haven't started I it yet. Saw, I, fi- I finally saw that Shaq documentary that you've been raving about. It was great, right? It, it was it really was, good. Yes. Really well produced. I want more stuff like that. I want more. I want more guys to get. You know, I want. I don't care. Give me a Chris Weber one. Give me like everybody. I want everybody from the nineties that I love to get. I want a Grant Hill four part doc. I want all that stuff. Uh, I, I need it. I have you watched the bill Russell doc yet? Cause I have not. That was also excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to watch that probably tomorrow. Um, all right, fine. Fine. Let's do it. 2000 NBA draft. Keith news and notes on this draft. Uh, I gave them at the beginning of our podcast. If you recall. Oh, okay, great. So let's just get right into it. Yeah, we can get right into it. Uh, All right. So I am going to, I have the first pick today and uh, with the New Jersey Nets, and I'm going to have my uh, Terrell Brandon moment. If you don't remember the Terrell Brandon moment, Keith took Terrell Brandon number one overall uh, a few few weeks ago. And what was that, the 90? Three? It was the 1991 draft. Oh, 1991. Sorry. I'm losing my mind. And, and, to to much controversy from our 150 listeners, uh, they were they couldn't believe it. Um, so I'm going to do something similar now. Look, nobody in this trade, is, nobody in this draft is really all that great. Um, but you could really look at it and say, well, obviously Kenyon Martin or Michael Red have to be the pick here, right? Well, I say no. I'm going to go with Mike Miller to the New Jersey Nets, and here's why. Oh. Here's why I'm going with Mike Miller. The things that Mike Miller did in his in his career mattered. They absolutely mattered. He was a huge part of that grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies team. He he was a huge part of that Miami, you know, uh, 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 championship team hitting some threes in the finals that were like that that kept that team going against Oklahoma City. They, you know, things could have easily easily went bad in that series for the Heat, but you know, there were some big moments for, 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 uh, for Mike Miller. Also, you know, this is a guy, he was averaging 18 points a game at one point in time. Like he, you know, this is a career 41% three point shooter. 
Like Mike Miller could play today. Absolutely could play today. No problem. I, I know he could play today because he played like four years ago. Uh, and, and he's got the longevity. That's the other thing I like longevity, a guy who can play in the league for a long time, even though near the end of his career, he was, uh, you know, more so just a guy that, you know, was on the plane uh, going from places to places. But I, I just, I just like that. Mike Miller is a guy that he, he matters. He, the things he does matters. You know, I can't remember anything that Kenyon Martin did with the Nets that mattered. That you go, wow, okay, maybe all right, maybe that series against Boston yeah, early on in his career, you know, that he 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 definitely handled Antoine Walker in that series. But other than that, you know, once Richard Jefferson showed up, he kind of stole Kenyon Martin's thunder a little bit and almost became like the number two guy on that team. Um I just think I just think that you put you have a backcourt of of Jason Kidd and Mike Miller. I just feel a lot more comfortable with that. And, and you keep Keith Van Horn around longer. I just feel like that's a better team than than Kenyon Martin would have been on that team. And I like Michael Red, and I think he's going to go very early in this draft. But I, you know, that, that knee injury, man, it's just it's it just ruined everything. And it's hard to look at him the same way. Uh, I, I I don't know. Um, I got to go, Mike Miller. Your your retort, if you have one. Look, I, I would not have taken on. All right. Honestly, I have Mike Miller fifth on my board. Uh, it's not. Look, like I said at the very beginning, I don't think there's any pressure on either of us because I don't think there's any really terrible answer. This draft class is not great. And if there's no great players, there can't be any terrible picks, right? So uh, one thing that you said that stuck out to me was Mike Miller, the things that he did matter. And you're absolutely right. The thing I remember most uh, LeBron's very first championship season with Miami, uh, game five, the clinching game at home against the Thunder, uh, seven for eight uh, from three-point range in that game, yeah. uh, 23 points. Uh, the game was never close, but the reason it wasn't close is because Mike Miller came in and just blew the game open, and then it was just kind of over from there. So, yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, Low-ceiling player, but honestly, just about everybody else in this draft is is he an all-star in any situation? I don't think so, but he's a high, very high quality role player. Uh, so I look, I, it, this might be boring. Cause I can't really, I'm not going to really flame anyone for any of these picks. Uh, second pick, the Vancouver Grizzlies soon to be the Memphis Grizzlies really have nothing to their name right now. Uh, asset wise, other than Mike Bibby. And we know Mike Bibby's kind of on his way out. Uh, but I know Pau Gasol is kind of on his way in yep. in the future. So who do I think would pair the best with Pau Gasol? Uh, there's one obvious answer to me, and that's Hito Turkoglu. Oh. Uh, I know he's going to take a little bit of developing because uh, he, he played right away in, in Sacramento, but he wasn't nearly as good in Sacramento as he was later on in his career in, in Orlando. It, it took him seven or eight years to really get to that point to where he was a, an all-star caliber player. But I, this team has a lot of, it has a lot of young players. There's a lot of room to grow. They're not even going to be a playoff contender for at least four or five seasons. I think this is the perfect stop for Hidu. Uh, Hidu and Powell, I think would mesh beautifully. Uh, 
a couple of European players that like to they're they're oversized ball handlers. They they can they can both pass. They can both shoot a little. I I think mixing Pau and Hito together would I think that would be an outstanding pairing uh, for the Grizzlies moving forward. Yeah, I I I like that. That's an interesting. I didn't I I I had Turgaloo going high on my board, but I uh, I didn't have him going as high as two. Uh, so yeah, that's. Yeah, this like this was a fit. This was definitely a fit pick for me. Okay. Uh, well, I've got the uh, the Los Angeles Clippers up, and uh, you know I, huh, uh, I feel bad for whoever goes here. Uh, it's going to be Michael Red, uh, to the to the L.A. Clippers. Yeah. You know this guy. This guy, as we mentioned, he could he could fill the bucket up. I mean, there was there was a. Draft. There, there was a, there was a time when he was scoring twenty six points a game uh, in in two, uh, two thousand seven. Somehow didn't make the All Star game that that year, but made the All Star game when he was only scoring twenty one points a game. But yeah, Michael Red like was this sneaky good player that went in the second round and forty third pick. Yeah, it, it, it's, in his draft, the forty third pick. Yeah. It, it's really weird. Like, I don't know. Did he just have a really bad run at Ohio State? I, I, no, I don't he, remember. He I, took them to the Final Four. Yeah, I thought he was a really great player. I, I don't know what the concerns were. But, yeah, he went all the way down to number 43 uh, in the second round. And, yeah, and, and and once he got started in Milwaukee, it took about two years or so. But once he got going, like, man, this guy, like I said, could fill it up. And I think he has a better chance with the Clippers – he doesn't have to play, you know, behind uh, Ray Allen or um, like he's the star in in LA. He's the guy there, and um, he's, they're gonna they're gonna build around him and and give him all the time and minutes and everything that he needs. Um, he'll he'll move Eric Piakowski right out of the way. <laughs> so yeah, that's what Michael Red with the third pick to the Clippers. Yeah, I want to say if you take uh, Katino Mobley off of that uh, 2005 Clippers team that nearly made the conference finals and you replace him with Michael Red, uh, that team might actually have gone to the finals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, yeah. There, this. I mean, look, a lot of things might have, you know, would change if you put Michael Red on the Clippers five years ahead of time. That probably changes a few things. But uh, all the same, yeah, My, Michael Red, <laughs> I I remember at the time watching him in college and thinking he was pretty good. I didn't think that he was great, but like a second round pick, I still can't wrap my mind around that. Ohio State doesn't make the final floor every year. And the the fifth all-time leading scorer in the history of the Milwaukee Bucks, he has a 57-point game on his resume. I think to, to me, I think he's the best individual talent in this entire draft. Uh, but, you know, for fit concern, I don't think he's a superstar no matter where he winds up, but I, I think he's definitely an all-star type talent. All right. Now the, the Chicago bulls uh, who have Elton brand and really nothing else at this point in, in a year, they won't even have Elton brand. So what the question is, what do I do here to try to get the bulls to maybe rethink moving Elton brand for Tyson Chandler? Uh, yeah. God. <laughs> like it's already hard just, it, no this is just a bad this is this is just a bad situation um yeah. all right i am going to say 
with the fourth pick, uh, the Chicago Bulls select uh, Kenyon Martin. Okay. And you say, well, Elton Brand's a power forward. Kenyon Martin's a power forward. Why are we, you know, they, don't they overlap each other? And they kind of do. But the Bulls' plan anyway was to pair Eddie Curry with Tyson Chandler. So you know all, all along that their plan was they wanted a Twin Towers front court. It's just they picked the wrong two towers. <laughs> the towers were built on bad foundations and fell over uh, in short order. The uh, I think if you put Kenya Martin on the on the Bulls with Elton Brand, I think maybe there's enough talent there because Kenya Martin's more of a defensive player. Elton Brand could play defense, but he's more of a scorer. And I'm thinking, hey, you, those two tough guys together, maybe the Bulls aren't looking for – you know, more big men in a year. Maybe they're looking for some guards, uh, which honestly, considering the guard crop uh, was very underrated in 2001. I, I think this could actually push the Bulls in a, in a good direction. So I'm going to say Kenya Martin goes to the Bulls number four overall. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. I like that. I was kind of hoping he would fall to the magic, but uh all right. Well, okay. So we're the magic here. We got Tracy McGrady. We got Grant Hill. We're just getting started on. on uh, you, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but do you yep. know how the magic got this pick? Yes, this was part of the, uh, <laughs> this was part of the uh, Anthony Hardaway, Chris Weber trade. Yes. From six years from 1994, uh, this pick was the final pick. Uh, that was owed to to the Magic as a condition of that Penny Shack deal where they traded, or Penny Weber deal where they traded Weber to the Warriors for three first round picks. Again, I, I just had to add this in. Sort of remnis, reminiscent of the uh, Darko Milicic trade with the Grizzlies. Uh, yeah. uh, I, I'm telling you, we got to do that Darko Milicic episode. I know you keep fighting it off, but we got to. Chris, Chris Weber looms very large over this draft. I'm yes. sorry, go on. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go ahead and. Uh, because there are really no wrong answers with this with this draft. I'm going to take Jamal Maglor here. And, uh, you know, right now the Magic have uh, John Amici, um, Andrew DeClerc, and Michael Doliak at center. I think that Maglor could be a bit of an upgrade there. Uh, it's just a young center that is going to help get some double digits up, isn't going to do anything spectacular, but I think will help that Orlando team. Uh, on, on both sides of the court a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I thought about maybe taking Jamal Crawford, but like with Tracy McGrady there, I just, it's just, it's just not going to work. It, I feel like they just be bumping into each other out there. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Jamal Maglor to the magic. Jamal magic lore is what they would call so, it. J- Jamal Maglor uh, holds the distinction. I'm pretty sure of being the very first Canadian selected to the NBA All-Star team. Hey. Yeah, I mean, that's a hell of a legacy, right? Uh, I think Bill Wennington was the first Canadian to really get notable playing time. And I think McGlure was the first one to break through and make the All-Star team. Uh, I think Nash followed him. Actually, I think it was Nash first and then McGlure. Or maybe they made it in the same year. I can't remember who made it first. In any case, uh, McGlure, very much the poster child for uh, everyone asking why uh, are we you know, requiring to have centers in the all-star game if there are no all-star quality centers? Uh, yeah, he, he made the all-star game barely averaging a double-double simply because every other center in the Western Conference was either 
uh, unavailable or just too hurt. So I, yeah, I have no problem with this, though. Uh, he was a quality center for a very number of years and a starting quality one at that. And, you know, for a top five pick, that's that's not bad for, for a worst case scenario. And in McGlure's case, it was his best case scenario. All right, so the Atlanta Hawks at pick number six. Uh, I am not going to have Dikemi Matumbo for much longer. I know that. And we're going to start into a very long rebuild. And this one takes me no time at all. Uh, out of the University of Michigan, the Atlanta Hawks select Jamal Crawford. Yep. And I don't care that I already have Jason Terry. I, I, I will take two of the most exciting uh, six men of their generation on the same team. And I think Jamal Crawford is actually a better overall player than than Jason Terry. He just didn't. He did. He never got paired with Dirk Nowitzki. And that's not me slighting Jason uh, Jason Terry. That's me saying Jamal Crawford in his prime was a way better player than people realize. Uh, if he is not the greatest six man of all time, he's in the top two or three. Uh, he was that explosive a score, could pass a little bit. Uh, people forget he was the point guard at Michigan. And it's easy to forget because he only played like 10 games because he was declared ineligible because of a BS rules violation, uh, which I won't get into. Uh, but in any case, I, I think, you know, with the Hawks, they're going to be in a rebuild. You want talent over ever, over anything else. And I think Jamal Crawford is clearly the most talented player left on this board. All right. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's a great pick for them. Good value at, at six. Right. Um, and. The, the Chicago Bulls at seven are back on the board. And do you know how they got this selection? I don't. Uh, this was also a result of a Chris Webber trade. It was the Chris Webber trade from Golden State to Washington that found its way into the hands of, uh, I think I want to say it was the uh, the Warriors. And then the Warriors and the trade that sent Tony Kukoc out of Chicago uh, to the Hawks. It was a three-way deal. That Warriors pick, uh, excuse me, that Bullets pick got sent to the Bulls. So this is yet another Chris Webber uh, trade pick that we are talking about. All right, so you have the floor, sir. All right. Well, I'm gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna do somebody a favor. Uh, I hope it's a favor. Uh, I love this their podcast so much. I I love the Knucklehead so much. That I feel that they would uh, they would enjoy being able to stay home. Unfortunately, I can only keep one of them home, and um, you know we have sort of a saying on this show, and it's if you can't be good, at least you could be fun. <laughs> and that's uh, I'm bringing Darius Miles to the Chicago Bulls over over Quentin Richardson. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Uh, Darius, man, Darius was so much fun before he got hurt. Uh, he there was, was fun, yeah. There he was, was some... never that good, though. I feel like he, I, I feel like that's a Clipper problem, though. I really do. I, I feel like you know that that young Clippers team, which he was a part of that team that 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 almost made it to the finals. Uh, I, I just feel like was he? No, no, he was not. Oh, he was already gone by then. Never mind. I, I'm pretty. You know, you could be right. I'm printing a retraction. Um, you never know. You might be right. I thought he was on Portland at that point, though. Yes, he was on Portland. He only lasted two years with the Clippers. But those two years with the Clippers were super fun, man. I'm telling you. Uh, he was in the Nike ads. Like, he was supposed to, you know, the, the Jordan the Jordan team ads, all that stuff. Like, I, I just feel like if he would have went to a different team to start his career, very young career, didn't go to college, 
maybe should have went to St. John's like he uh, was was talking about. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I'm taking him. I'm taking him here. I like D Miles. Um, terrific actor as well. Riveting, yes. riveting, riveting work in Van Wilder. Yeah this this is our um this is our high school player uh, straight to the pros uh, selection for for this uh, 2000 draft. Yeah, Darius Miles is is one of those guys that was all you hear, heard about him on draft day was potential, 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 all the things that he could potentially do, and then he just. If, I'm not saying he was a bad player. I don't think he was, but it, just the expectations that were on him, I don't think he ever lived up to those. Uh, but look, it did look to his credit. It looked like he was, he was also one of LeBron's original teammates that first year in Cleveland, the Cleveland gave up uh, Andre Miller to get him from to, to the Clippers. And it just, it looked like he was starting to, to really put it together in Portland in his mid twenties. And then, like you said, he blew out his knee and that kind of ended his career. So uh, the number eight pick, the Cleveland Cavaliers, speaking of the Cavs, uh, they are up and, yeah, uh, the, here's the guy I thought you were going to pick because he was the top player left on my board uh, from, I believe it was DuPaul, uh, Quentin Richardson. Oh, okay. uh, he honestly was. He was the best player left on my board, so it kind of threw yeah. me through a loop. You said Darius Miles. Um, uh, Q Rich. Not the not nearly the athlete Darius was, but man, he, as as a three and D guy, I think he was one of the original you know three and D guys of the two thousands. Uh, he could really defend, a uh, very good rebounder, uh, highly intelligent player. Uh, he was one of the originals on the seven seconds or less Suns. He thrived there because he was a good volume three point shooter. He he was he was one of those guys that every guy that ever coached him you know raved about how what a what a great player he was what a great teammate he was uh i, I want to say he's an assistant coach to this day is he not uh no he is not no I, he was at least i think i know he coached for Stamen gundy uh as far as i know i think the the podcast is all they do now um i know he he worked for the pistons for a minute yeah he's yeah he's not an assistant coach he he worked for the pistons for two years as a as the director of player development, but um, gotcha. Okay, but that's that, that's his only coaching experience. But but in any case, uh, this is a guy that I think in most drafts goes outside the lottery, and some playoff team is is lucky enough to pick him up, and then he goes on and has a you know fantastic 10, 12, 15 year career as a guy that people call a sleeper because you know he came into the re- re- league ready to play and he didn't have that upside. Well. Unfortunately, in this draft, he kind of he, he he kind of got raised up to the top a little bit, and I think that put expectations on him that shouldn't have been there. So, look, if he sticks around long enough and winds up playing with LeBron James, I think he's a perfect complement uh, for the things that LeBron does. So, I'm actually really loving this pick. The more I talk about it, all right, yeah, Q Rich and and D Miles, the knuckleheads going back to back. That's uh, what we call a knucklehead run through this draft. So now we're going to get back to uh, just the regular guys. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks are going to select Desmond Mason. Uh, D Mace uh, or Mace or the Cowboy. I don't know whoever called him the Cowboy, but that's what it says on his basketball reference page. This guy was actually pretty good. 
Uh, decent score, 14, 15 points a game. Uh, had one year with Milwaukee where he's putting up 17 a game. Uh, so things obviously worked out in Milwaukee. So I'm going to send him there super early and he's going to get some tutelage, uh, you know, with, with Glenn Robinson and, and Ray Allen early on. And, and uh, I, I think that this is a guy that you could move into. Oh, Sam Cassell's going to be there too. Gosh, I feel like every time we do one of these, Sam Cassell is somewhere else. Uh, he got, that guy got traded way too much, but yes, Desmond Mason to the bucks. I think, uh, I think it'll work out. So the, um, I, I believe the Houston Rockets actually had this pick. Um, I have the uh, the Houston Rockets had the pick and then traded it to Milwaukee. After the, you know, I'm I'm good with that. That was a uh, that was a draft day deal. So draft day deal. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. We'll um, okay. Yeah. Uh, Desmond Mason probably <laughs> as we're talking about the dunk contest. Uh, the the 2001 slam dunk champion uh, Desmond Mason. Yeah, they, it was weird because he had the NBA body. Just he, you know, he reminds me of a little bit Hami Diallo. I can see that. Yeah, yeah, because just blasts off athleticism, uh, big strong wing, uh, could not shoot a lick. Just, just that's that's kind of what limited him as as a player is because he just had no range and he had this clunky jumper. You know, he is Hami Diallo. I'm just, just going to throw it out. <laughs> All right. There's the um, Hami cop. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, he was always fun to watch though. In the open floor, uh, just dynamite. And you always, you always, even if you're on the other, the other team, you're always looking, God, I hope he gets at least one breakaway just to see what I can, what he can do. Uh, that was, that was the kind of player he was. Uh, so number 10, the Orlando magic and man, don't the magic, uh told the magic feel great having three picks in, in out of the first 13 oh man they probably thought they were cleaning up um huh. this pick they got via denver for keon clark which should tell you all about the value that they had for this draft uh number 10 pick and god remind me who did you pick at number five i took McGlory, uh right? yeah jamal McGlory. Yep. yeah all right so we're done at center uh, we've got Tracy McGrady. Uh, we know, unfortunately, Grand Hill is not going to be able to help us much, so we need some help on the wing. And I think I have a great – so well, I think I have an okay solution. Uh, out of Michigan State, the Orlando Magic select Morris Peterson. Uh, and, I I forgot about Morris Peterson for a half a second and thought you were taking cleats. <laughs> I got, I got, I got Although worried. I, objective. I don't, I don't want the magic to fail. I, I have to try to, give, I try to have to at least try to give them the best uh, opportunity Ooh. possible. All right. So yeah. How, where does he fit? I think he fits exactly where Mike Miller did uh, in, when he was in Orlando, he he's that safety valve uh, floor spacer. He's not as good as Mike Miller, but as a pure shooter, I think he is pretty close Probably after Mike Miller, this might be the third best shooter on my board in this draft. Uh, the second one hasn't been taken yet, so I'm not going to say. But, yeah, I, I think this is a very good value pick for them at 10 in this draft. Uh, shooting specialist, but he's a very good shooting specialist. He's going to play about 10 years in the NBA. Is he a starter on a, on a very good team? Yeah, I guess maybe. 
I think he did start on that New Orleans Hornets team that won a bunch of games with Chris Ball and, and Tyson Chandler, but he was like the fifth wheel there. But enough disrespecting Mo Pete. He is a top 10 pick in this draft. Uh, we move on to pick 11, the Boston Celtics. Oh, boy. Um, Keith, who is Jerome Moiso? Jerome Moiso? Moiso, yeah. Who is Jerome Moiso? Yeah. Moiso. Uh, I remember him as being this pretty athletic, like, big forward that he was kind of like you drafted him. They had, I'm pretty sure he got drafted because he was big, he was mobile, and they were hoping they could get some real like quality basketball play out of him, and he just never developed uh, skill wise. And that's at least what I remember about Jerome Moiso. Played 145 games in five years uh, yeah. for one, two, three, four, five, six different teams. So, all right, that's what we're dealing with at this moment. I'm gonna take. I'm going to take Eddie House here. Uh, oh, oh th- that was the other guy you wanted, huh? Uh, Ed, no, Eddie, go ahead. I was looking forward to talking about Eddie House, but you go right yeah. ahead. Eddie's great. Uh, good off-the-bench player, good role player, uh, a guy who, you know, was had some had some moments in that uh, that that Celtics championship uh, season, you know, in that playoffs. Uh, he was a good player. Um uh, at his best for 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 Charlotte, he was he was uh, scoring eleven points a game. Um, not bad. You're not going to get a ton out of this guy, uh, but you're going to get something. He's 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 going to come out there. He's going to give you something. And at this point in the draft, with this draft, that's all we're asking for is give me something. And those moments with the Celtics in that championship uh, season is good enough for me to to take him here. He's going to Boston way earlier than. Uh, about 10 years earlier than he, he originally did eight years earlier. Sorry. Yeah. It, it wasn't just the, um, it, it wasn't just the Celtics. I, he, he was influential. I look, he mattered. Uh, speak, you're talking about guys earlier that mattered. Like he, he really did matter. Uh, he made an impact. Uh, I, on the seven seconds for less sons, I believe, uh, before he ever even got to Boston. And yeah, I'll tell you what, you know that Eddie House is the very last player in the NBA uh, that scored 60 points in college? I did not know that. He had six. He played at Arizona State. He dropped 61 points on Cal. 61. And no player. There's been a couple of guys that have had a, that have scored 60 in college since, but neither of them were NBA players. He is the very last NBA player uh, that had a 60 point game on his college resume. <laughs> that explosive. And we were talking about shooters, and I, he, he's to me, he's the second best shooter in this entire draft after Mike Miller. Uh, very undersized, but you could never ever leave Eddie House open. He was just, a, he was a killer on clutch threes. And so the number twelve pick, and I'm the Dallas Mavericks. I, I know I've already got Dirk under in the fold. I've got Steve Nash in the fold. I've got my young nucleus and Michael Finley. Right now, it's just about giving them time and letting them grow up. And I know I've got a, I know I've got a playoff team in my hands. Uh, they're going to be the, in the playoffs starting this season and you know forever after that until Dirk retires. So, who is the best uh, role player I can give them to help them on their journey? To me, ooh, and there's there's some good ones here. Uh, to be honest with you, to me that would be 
Deshaun Stevenson. Yeah. And Sean Stevenson, you can look, he was always a character, never the easiest, easiest player to work with by all accounts. Uh, but he he did have that edge to him. He wasn't afraid, even when he should have been afraid of LeBron James. He treated LeBron James like they were equals, which on the outside we all laughed at. But you kind of need a player like they had that they had that type of moxie, uh, irrational me, confidence. I, yep, there, there you go. He was an irrational confidence guy, and he was a three and D guy that wasn't great on defense, but occasionally he would catch fire from three point range. And on this Mavericks team, at least this early one, they really did struggle to score at times because all they had was Dirk and Steve Nash as far as shot creation goes at Finley. And this guy, this kind of gives them a decent number four option. I think right out of the gate uh, when they're struggling to score, they can get some points out of that. I don't think he helps them even two years from now at this point. Uh, but I think he gives them a good start. And that, to me, in this draft, is, is good enough to warrant a number 12 pick. All right. I am also selecting for the Dallas Mavericks. They have the very next pick. Orlando originally had this yep. pick and then traded it. Uh, I was just looking at this Dallas roster. This is a weird roster, man. Uh, Bill Curley is on this team. Christian Leitner is on this team. Loy Vaught's on this team. Gary Trent, Vernon Maxwell, uh, Ed, Eduardo Naraha. Nahara. Nahara, sorry. Uh, it's a weird team. Sean Bradley. Uh, this team made the playoffs, though, somehow. Um, it, weird. It's just weird to me, the, the names on this team. Uh, but I'm going to add another fun name to him. Uh, I think they're a little light in the point guard area, so I'm going to send... Uh, I'm going to send Speedy Claxton there to back up Steve Nash. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's probably the best player uh, left. I mean, it's, it's, there's really not a lot to work with. But when Speedy was on, when he was healthy, he was pretty good. My dog. At least Rick Pop, Rick Pop, I thought so. He was, he was uh, Tony Parker's backup on that 2003 uh, Spurs team. You keep so, talking. I'm going to let these crazy dogs. <laughs> so I, to be honest with you, uh, if he if I hadn't picked up uh, Deshaun Stevenson, I would have picked Stevie Claxton. I was really trying to decide between those two guys, but I guess I don't have to uh, because you you also you selected him anyway. So yeah, I, it's weird because no one really remembers this early Dallas team. Uh, they actually were the team that kind of ended the Carmelone and John Stockton era in Utah by coming from down 0-2 to knock them out in the first round. One of the, one of the more fun playoff series or notable playoff series that no one ever remembers. So the final pick uh, in our draft, the 14th pick, uh, belongs to the Detroit Pistons, who are not in a good way <laughs> in the summer of 2000. <laughs> Uh, they are about to lose. They don't know it yet, but they're about to lose Grant Hill to Orlando in free agency. They are over the cap uh, anyway, even really without Grant Hill. They don't have much cap room. They have an overpriced roster. They do have Jerry Stackhouse, and they're they're about to get Ben Wallace, which is that's great. Uh, but right now, they're very much in a in a middle of a brief rebuild. So, who am I going to give them? You know what? I, I am going to go on potential. 
I'm going to take a swing on potential. Out of Cincinnati, the Pistons select DeMar Johnson. Okay. And DeMar, yeah. DeMar Johnson, if you look up his statistics, they are extremely unimpressive. He was a one-and-done in Cincinnati. And mm-hmm. you know what? He was a incredibly skilled player. 6'8", skinny, 6'8", guard, really, uh, could handle, could shoot the three-point, uh, could shoot the three-pointer even in, by today's standards. Just another one of those potential guys that didn't work out. And the reason it didn't work out for him is because he got into a car accident and had to have his spine uh, refused together. And it's honestly a miracle that he ever actually played again. But from that point on, his career was, it was set in stone that he was never going to develop the way he could have. And I'm hoping just in a different situation, maybe fate isn't quite as cruel to him. I think the potential there is enormous. If if he does stick around in Detroit three, four, five years down the road, just, just could be a Swiss army knife uh, at guard the way Tayshaun Prince was at forward. But it, look, if it doesn't work out, then I've, I've essentially blown the number 14 pick on the team Cleves again. And really, uh, can anyone blame me for that? Not really. All right. Well, that, that was relatively painless. We did it. We got through it. The 2000 NBA draft. Uh, yeah, let's just gotta keep on moving past it and, and burn it with fire. And it, it, you know, I guess looking back on it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't horrible. You know, I mean, there was a lot of role players, like not every draft could be full of yeah. all, you know, it, it wasn't, it's, it's, it, yeah, it is not a sexy draft. It, it just yeah. isn't, but you and I both pointed out there there were a lot of guys in this draft that mattered that played on winning teams that played on championship yeah. teams. They didn't lead those teams, but that doesn't mean they didn't make an impact. Or those teams, you know, could have won it without them. Some of some of these guys hit major shots in playoff series. <laughs> it, it's just a matter of you know stars versus role players. But I, I I think the the overarching theme and us doing this whole redraft from '84 to present day is that role players matter. And I, I think this is a, this is what I enjoy most is talking about the guys that no one else uh, remembers because they mattered just because they didn't score 20, 20 points a game or grab 12 rebounds or hit, you know, 10, three pointers in a game. I, they still matter. Yep. This is a pro uh, role player podcast. Absolutely. Uh, the 2001 draft is going to be, a lot more fun because it is deep, deep, deep. Gilbert Arenas, Jason Richardson, Paul Gasol, Zach Randolph, Joe Johnson, Tony Parker, uh, Memo is in this draft, Richard Jefferson, uh, Shane Battier, Tyson Chandler, Jamario Moon. <laughs> There's a blast. He may not even get drafted. <laughs> He's not going to. He's Jamario Moon's not getting drafted. <laughs> There's no way. But I, that's I always remember that guy and thinking like, man, why didn't he have a better? What happened? He was NBA second team that season, looked really good, and then just it all went, it all just went to shit after that. Uh, I know he was maybe a little older than everybody else was, but um, I, I don't know. Really weird career. I think he's the reason that everyone passed on Tayshon Prince. Because he was a similar type of player, and everyone looked at Prince and said he's too skinny, he's not not quick enough. Uh, he, he his jumper doesn't look like it's 
going to be useful at the pro level. Like all those things that they said about Prince that were not true about Prince wound up being true about Jamario Moon. The weird thing is, uh, if I'm reading this correctly, Jamario Moon's draft class should have been like this one. He should have been yeah. in this draft class. He was 27 yeah. as a 27 year old rookie with the uh, Toronto Raptors. I believe he was in the dunk contest too that um, that season, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yes, so that's the Jamario Moon talk that you'll hear on Bad Boys and Beyond, and you'll probably never hear us talk about him ever again. And Kwame Brown's not going to get drafted that on that one either. But uh, our next episode is uh, is is going to be one that we probably should have done last week. Uh, it's it we are going to be doing a uh, this is something that somebody on Twitter wanted us to do. I'm sorry, I can't find the tweet. I can't remember you know who you are, but if you know you know who you are, and I thank you for this this idea. Um, we are going to be talking about Pistons trades throughout history. So there's going to be some really interesting talk there. Um, we're going to do probably 30 minutes, I would say, on just the Sean Elliott trade. Um, actually, might as well just to make this a Sean Elliott episode. No? Okay. You don't want to, Keith? Okay. Uh, no. That trade has to come up, though. Uh, We've got to at least talk about it for a second, right? I mean... It... Well, we can talk about it. I just don't want to get like punched in the gut for for forty five. Like <laughs> talking about the Sean Elliott trade is like eating a bowl of like old unseasoned asparagus. I just I'll, I'll do it because I have to, but it doesn't mean I'm going to enjoy it. I'd rather talk about something I enjoy. I know there will definitely be some talk about the Chauncey Billups Allen Iverson trade. Uh, because we got to talk about some of the bad ones too. So, oh no, we we will go for the major ones and maybe even some minor ones that had a big impact. Yep. So uh, tune into that. There's going to be a lot of good discussion about that next week, and uh, we'll see you then.